I'm starting this morning a new series called Uncensored. And um, it's subtitled Unexpected Conversations with Pastor Chuck. And I, I, want, I want to say a couple things. This summer, we're not taking the summer off. A lot of times pastors go into kind of vacation mode themselves and they'll pass the mic or get um, different speakers to come in, which we've had and I'm not afraid to have. I love having people who can contribute. But hear me please. I don't think we can afford with our Sunday morning gatherings, especially when it comes to the teaching, to go into kind of a neutral vacation mode. And the Lord has given me, you know, like I'm really, really passionate about the stuff that I'm going to be sharing. And when you hear uncensored, you may be thinking, okay, conservative preacher, echo chamber, preaching to a bunch of conservative people all in the same room. Uncensored, it's, it's more than that. And you may go, you're in the South, Bible Belt, you're going to be railing against all the centrists and leftists. No, it's, it's, that's not what it's going to be. We're going to be bringing the word of God on all of the critical issues that we're facing. And I'm going to lay the groundwork this morning. And if you're like me, James says the word is like a mirror. When I look in the mirror of his word, I don't see your imperfections. I see me and my nose hair and my ear hair. You know, I'm 55. I didn't used to see that stuff. <laughs> kind of makes me wish my eyes would go ahead further and, and disintegrate so that I wouldn't. I've got hair growing in places. It didn't used to be there. I'm not even... My ears, Candace cuts my ear. She goes, honey, you wanted me to get that hair out of your ear. Like, that's a new one. When I look in the mirror, I, I see me. And you're going to hear from today. When we look in the word, we're all going to be stretched. But the good news is that God speaks and has spoken about everything we're facing. We're not the only people who have ever been in a worldwide crisis. But God is speaking. And he speaks with a heart full of love. Because everything he does is good. And his word teaches us how to enjoy that goodness and sustain it. And so as we enter into this series, this morning I want to, I'm going to, Look at a passage that will be the foundational passage for the whole series, and it'll be through June and July. And um, I would ask you to pray for me because we're in a crazy day. And pray for me that God will give me wisdom and anointing because some things go viral that innocent people didn't mean to go viral. Things can be twisted and edited and manipulated. And you know, we, we appreciate our rights and privileges on Facebook. And, and I hope we get to continue to enjoy them. And I think we will. But we live in a day that, listen, pray for me as we enter into what I believe is a very critical season. We're going to take it all on. Racial stuff. Um, gender stuff. A lot of the current things that are going on. And you're going to be amazed at what the Bible says. Especially the book of Revelation which is not hard to understand. It might be freaky, but it's only because you've, you've seen too many Stephen King movies or novels, Spielberg and stuff. But at the end of the day, in Revelation, you know what Revelation is about? Is Yeah, all this crazy stuff. Beasts and prostitutes, riding beasts. All this crazy stuff happens. And there sit the saints of God praising God around the throne. And he's sovereign. And because they're doing that, what's happening in the world, in the end, the one who is worthy is praised and he rules and reigns and brings victory to the whole universe. Amen? So starting, I want to lay this as a foundation. God's posture toward creation is a posture of him looking at it and saying, it is good. 
And that wasn't him going, that's acceptable. Okay, next thing. That was him delighting in his work. God's good is good. You know, it's like, like it's not slightly above average acceptable. He backed away and said, wow, that, that's good. And that's his posture. And what he creates is the manifestation of what is in his heart and his will. And so his posture we see in Genesis and really through, all through Scripture is he wants to back away and look at the things he created and the people he loves and to be able to say, wow, that's good. Psalm 34, 8, the, the psalmist, you'll know the regular translations say, you don't believe it, taste and see that the Lord is good. The message says it like this, open your mouth and taste. Hey, open your eyes and see how good God is. Blessed are you who run to him. How many of you have tasted and you know not because you read it in Reader's Digest or somebody told you. How many of you have tasted and seen the Lord is good? It's who he is. So we look and we see in Genesis, there's 11 times God says it is good, it is good. Verse 4, God saw that the light was good. Verse 10, God called the dry land earth and the waters that we gather, that we gather he called the seas and God saw that it was what? good verse 12 18 21 25 before we get to the middle of chapter 2 God has 11 times backed up and said wow that is good verse 18 is the first time we see him say oh that's not good verse 18 says in the Lord God said that it was not good for man to be alone how many of you men know it is not good for man to be alone Come on, how many of you women know it is not good for my man to be alone? Um, but here's the beautiful thing. And, and I don't think that was God going, oh, whoops, forgot Eve. I, I personally believe that God created man without Eve so that man would crave companionship. And that when he first saw Eve, I've done a lot of teaching on this, he would, he, he would, he would see in Eve such beauty that he would be tempted to go, wow, I don't know who to worship, God or her. And, and the evidence that God, that there is a God is man's desire for woman. I mean, to a man, I don't mean to get PG, well, rated R, but what a woman is to a man when it's within the boundaries of God's word, there is nothing except salvation, and it's a close second sometimes, what, what man finds, the, oh, the delight of a woman. And how Satan could mess that up is so sad. God said, oh, it is not good. I don't think he accidentally left Adam there. I think he wanted Adam to crave companionship. To not see his work or the animals or the oceans as being enough. And then God said, it's not good. I can't allow this to go on. And he created Eve. You know, so here's the beauty. Eleven times God says, man, that's good. Then he goes, uh, that's not good. And he fixed it to make it good. That's the heart of our God. The first thing he noticed that wasn't good was the fact that man had been left alone. And then he put Adam to sleep. Sometimes God needs to put men to sleep. Seriously. He needs to make them unconscious of what he's doing because it's painful and it's beautiful. And if he's not asleep, he'll be in the driver's seat and not let God fix his ungoodness if you understand what I'm saying. And then when Adam woke up, he didn't need God to say, it is good. Adam woke up, saw Eve, and he said, hey now, come on somebody. She is good. God is good. And I, I wanted, sometimes, a lot of times in this life, bad things happen. And the temptation is for us to blame God. We don't need to blame God. 
Bad things happen, but God is good, and it's foundational. You need to be able to trust. He's good. He's good. Everything he does is good. Everything he says is to protect you from not enjoying his goodness. And we'll illustrate that in a second. So just before he said it is not good, I want you to notice what he says in verses 15 through 17, Genesis 2. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, now listen, this is God speaking directly to Adam. He says, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. There's a lot to unpack here, and it's not part of the sermon of where we're going, but it's interesting that God speaks to Adam before Eve is there. Adam has a ministry to his wife, Ephesians 5, to wash her in the water of the word and to help her understand what God has said. And somewhere that broke down. We blame Eve. Well, they blamed each other. And then Eve blamed the serpent. And you know, and there's some humorous stuff there. But it's powerful that God says that you, you can have anything except this. When you touch it, he says, God doesn't say you will die. He says, you will surely die. Man, I'm, I'm, I'm really going to teach, and I pray that everybody, young and old, can, can follow what I'm saying. Because this is so rich and foundational. You've got to get Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3 for you to understand the Bible. This is critical right here. He says, God knows what's getting ready to happen eight verses later. There's a serpent going to challenge what I've just said. And in case there's any wonder, he's going, you will surely die. What happens? The very next chapter, verse 1, Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, isn't it interesting? He didn't go to Adam. He goes to her. Because she got it secondhand. She heard the sermon. Adam got it. It was his manna. And he says, did God actually say, let me just underscore this, this is what's happening in our culture. This is the cultural war. Did God really say that? Is that what God meant? Many of us don't know what his word said, so we don't know what it meant. He said to the woman, did God actually say? And then he elaborates before she could answer, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, no, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. And God didn't say this, but she just adds, because Adam probably elaborated on what God said. And, and she says, you shall not even touch it. How many of you know men can exaggerate sometimes? Even pastors are known to get anointed and... It's the anointing that you can, you, neither shall you touch it or you will die. But the serpent said to the woman, you, you will not surely die. I hope you see something that you need to never unsee. Satan comes to challenge what God surely said. For God, and then he appeals to her desire, her righteous desire to be like God. For God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God and you will. And there's a danger in this. And a lot of us have never understood it. I was old in my Christian faith. Boy, I, you think eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, everybody needs to know good and evil. We need to know the difference, right? But he's talking about knowing the difference of good and evil and not being in relationship with God. And that's the Pharisees. That's what a lot of religious people do. We know what's right and what's wrong. And they don't live out of the tree of life. They live out of the tree of, I know what's right and wrong, and I know how you should vote. And if you don't vote like me, I don't even know how you. And we, and we, we live in, the, in a lot of preaching and a lot of, a lot of what the millennials and Gen Zers feel is justified in that we are hypocritical. 
We have the right message and we communicate it the wrong way. And so having knowledge of good and evil, Satan appeals to her. And so we see four things right here that I'm going to just highlight. I don't have them up here, but you may want to write them down. Number one, I've already said it. God is good. Anything that was less than good, he fixed it and he made it right, right away. He made it good right away. Number two, we see there's a serpent. Now, everybody, please listen to me. This is a lot of where we're going the next two months. What, you know, you go, well, why was Eve even talking to a snake? Good question, right? I don't think Satan manifested in some evil way. I think at that time, he comes like he always does. It's logical. It's common. Um, he's saying things that you partly agree with. He's appealing to that. I don't think she was already off a rocker because she was talking to a serpent. And we're going to see. That's how the enemy, listen to me. The enemy's message to you is something you like. It appeals to you. You agree with it. It just leaves an intimate relationship with God out of the equation. And that's what makes it um, poisonous. The third thing is we see, and I, I've already said it, but I want to go again. God's plan. Not only is God good, God's plan is good. It is literally, listen to me, God's plan for you. And there's a million places in Scripture we could, maybe not a million, 20. Places we can go in Scripture. God's plan for you is for you to experience heaven on earth now. That is salvation. That is eternal security. He wants you to taste eternal life now. Now, everybody listen to me. Here's the problem. You can't separate goodness and God. There is no, hear me, there is no good outside of God. And this is Satan's plan and the way he is appealing to our world. Come on. You can have good you don't need God. And so we are now worshiping the godness of good. And there are people that, yeah, if, if what I've got is good, that's all I'm after. And we have a culture right now that doesn't know what good is, and we're dismissing God, and we've even got a Congress that says what God thinks of it has no, there is this Congress is not going to consider. And this is a dangerous day we're living in. There is no good without God. And then fourthly, Satan's strategy is to challenge the word of God. It always has been. To twist it, confuse it, make you believe, ah, you don't really need to read your Bible. That's what serious Christians do. He comes to cause you to doubt what God really meant. He wants you to think you can have good without God, and you can't. God said, "Do not. you can have all this, but not this. If you touch this or if you eat from this, you will surely die. And Satan comes. Everybody, please, 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 please hear me. Satan comes and says, is that really what God said? Yeah. Well, do you... This is, this is exactly what's happening in our culture. In eight or ten different critical issues, especially as it relates to gender, we're going to take a look at some things this summer that are going to be phenomenal revelation for us. Satan comes to say, if he said that, is that really what he meant? And so we're going to go uncensored this summer. This is it, brothers and sisters. Goodness, good things, the good life without God. Good on our terms. This is what Satan did with Jesus after he fasted 40 days. Jesus had been baptized. We talked about it last week. Heavens open up. Holy Spirit descended on him. Holy Spirit leads him into the wilderness. He fasts 40 days, comes out, and Satan attacks his identity by challenging the last words Jesus heard. And Satan says, if you're the son of God, then do this. 
Oh, man. And Satan comes to challenge your identity, to challenge what God has said to you about you and the goodness God has for you. And then he moves on and he says to Jesus, hey, listen, if you'll bow down before me, I'll give you right now 10 million Instagram followers. If you bow down for me, um, there'll be 2 million instant likes on everything you post. You will have so many people following you if you'll do what God's called you to do, but just do it on my terms. And this is, this is what's happening in the world right now. This is pl playing itself over and over and over. Y'all tracking with me? All right, now, my question, or your question probably is, when I was a young kid, I, I was like, God, why did you even put that stupid tree in the garden? Just don't put it there, you know? Um, I, God is... God is very specific, very detailed, very intentional. He doesn't miss a detail. What's the specifics? What's all those? They are, he's very intentional about getting you in a relationship with him that sustains his goodness in your life. So that tree was there. He either put it there or allowed it to be there. And he used it. And he said to them, listen to what I'm saying to you. Learn to receive my word and my instruction. Everything I do, that is, everything I do, it is good. Learn to take me and trust me and do what I say. Don't touch that tree. And our human nature says, as soon as God turns around and walks away, I, I, my human nature, I got to try it just to see. And then Satan comes to help me. That's our fallen nature. Oh, man. Our fallen nature says, don't touch the hot stove. I got to just touch it. Make sure it's hot. That's our fallen nature. But before that, we, we can't imagine what it is to look God in the eye and hear him say, you can have anything, but not that. The intimacy of that fellowship, they had, they lived off of what he said. Everything was sustained by what he said. And yet Satan came and twisted it. And our question is, did God really say? And our answer around here is, we want everyone to say, yes, God really said. He said, all I have to do is don't eat from that tree, and I get to live. He visits me in the cool of the day, and we are literally heaven on earth. And you know the rest of the story. What happened? They ate, and then they realized shame came, and it messed up even the husband-wife intimate relationship they realized they were naked and had to go get and put clothes on. There's a lot to unpack there about. It. They were enjoying heaven on earth. Hear me this, you think, uh, I'm, I'm, too, I'm smarter than Satan. Don't, don't, don't fool yourself because Adam and Eve were in paradise when he duped them. Amen? Now we have the Holy Spirit in us helping us to discern and know what God really said. Holy Spirit reminds us. Holy Spirit, Spirit illustrates and makes sure, yeah, we can say God really said. Okay, that's the foundation. Everybody picking up what I'm putting down? All right, we got three people. Everybody picking up what I'm putting down? <laughs> Let me ask you, when I say, did God really say, you say, yes, God really said, okay? Did God really say? Yes, God really said. Yes, God really said. Did God really say? And it was good, right? All right, now, here we go from Genesis to Revelation. I, wanna, I want to just give you a picture because things we're going to deal with right now, the temptations for us to trust politics, to control politics. And I, I just, everybody hear me, okay? 
I'm not an uneducated voter. I'm not, I don't want to be an uninvolved citizen. I am against abortion, but I'm not going to march against abortion more than I pray against abortion, okay? When we trust the arm of the flesh, we get the results of the arm of the flesh. And that is, you can't, and I'm not opposed. I'm involved. Anybody that's heard me preach the last nine, ten months knows I'm involved and I'm not afraid of those subjects. And let me just say, any self-righteous preacher that goes, you ought to completely stay out of politics. I think they're clueless. And there's a fine line. They're clueless because, you know, can we sit here and go, the guy tweeted and he's an ignoramus and he had multiple affairs. And go, we should run from that. And run to what we've run to. It's hard to justify either one of them. But there is one for me that it is easier to justify. And I don't want anybody to clap. This is uncensored talk. So anybody that goes, Pastor Chuck, you're just, you, you need to stay completely away from that stuff. Pastors have acquiesced. Pastors are afraid they could go viral. And there'll be 250 activists here some Sunday and we show up. And then all of you are going to have to choose. Are we going on in to worship? And let him, the one who filled our lungs with breath, are we going to sing, great are you, Lord? And so we acquiesce. And I know the pressure. I don't stand up here every day because I'm, every Sunday because I'm courageous and not afraid. No, I've got wisdom. And my wisdom tells me you can't acquiesce and not preach the word. Neither can you stand up here and preach the word like some angry conservative backwoods pastor who thinks sinners are idiots. That's what happens. And Satan, Charles W. Kahn said, the enemy doesn't care if we fall backwards into immorality as spiritual leaders or forwards into self-righteousness. In fact, when we fall forward and we say what God said the wrong way, that does more damage than if we fall backwards. Are y'all tracking with me? So the more I talk about this, I hope the further up the, your prayer list your pastor moves because we need pulpits to be declaring with tears in our eyes what God says about all of this. Now, we're going to see in Revelation. I'm not going to be in Revelation the whole time. I, there'll be weeks we won't even go to Revelation. But I, I do want to go and talk about one of the most misunderstood, scary books in the Bible. And I just want to remind you of some logical, plain stuff. And we're going to really unpack some meaty, good, fun stuff. And the seventh grader who can't find the book of Matthew is going to understand what God is saying. And it's going, to be, it's going to bring revelation at a point that's going to inform us, awaken us, and we're going to be the army of God that we see in the book of Revelation. Amen? Amen. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to be jumping through a couple things and just highlight, and we're going to close here in just a few minutes. I promise you. A few is relative, but I do <laughs> promise you. Um, but I, I want to point you to some things because... Well, I just want to point you to them. Revelation 1. John is exiled. And the Bible says he's exiled because he obeyed. Did God really say? Yes, God really. He obeyed the word and he's exiled. I'm glad he got exiled. I'm first glad he obeyed the word and got exiled. If he hadn't done that, we wouldn't have the book of Revelation. So he's exiled. And the... One of the first verse, I think it's the first verse, says, this book, the book of Revelation, is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 3 says, it's so good. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those that hear it and take to heart what is written in it. To him who had made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve God the Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. So this is the start. This is the start. 
You're blessed if you just read this and hear it with your heart and receive it. Because you'll realize we, he has made us a kingdom. Kings have dominion. They are made up and they make up kingdoms and it's the kingdom of God. Verse 8, he says, now just to lay the groundwork before you see all the scary stuff and the, the beast with eight eyes and all the weird stuff. He says, now I am the Alpha and Omega, who is, who was is to come, the Almighty, Alpha and Omega, Greek, for I'm the first and the last. Genesis, Revelation. I was before all things, and I'm going to be after all things. And what God is saying is, listen, between A and Z, there's going to be some P's and Q's and X's, but just know this, I got it all together. I've got it all figured out. It's all going to happen on my timetable. How many of you are glad he's the Alpha and the Omega? Not only is he at the beginning and he's here with us he's already at the end celebrating are y'all out there so be encouraged people of god we don't worship a god who's trying to contend for the number one god in the world he is the only god he rules and reigns in majesty verse 9 was on the island of patmos because of the word verse 10 on the Lord's day, listen to this. See yourself. You need to say this every Sunday. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit. And I heard behind. Let me just stop right there. On the Lord's day, you don't need to say, I was at 410 Rucker Road. On the fourth row, three seats in on the left side. And it was good. You need to say... I, I know some of y'all are getting nervous, but if we don't get in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, we have no chance. Your flesh, your natural understanding has got to get reconditioned and taken back to the garden so you can walk into intimacy and go, okay, God, I got you. You really said so after the Lord's Day, tomorrow you can go out and say to yourself and anybody else that would ask, God really said, may it never be on a Sunday morning when we get here and there's too much personality. There's too many leaders liking the attention they get. May we never show up and go, I noticed what they wore and three people liked my outfit. May when we come in this room, on the Lord's day, may we be able to say, I was in the spirit. I know, I'm, I'm going to meddle a little bit. Some of us, it's months, years. Some of us have never been in a place where we can say the majority of the people on the Lord's day were in the spirit. But that's God's plan. And that's how John got the revelation. Oh, I got too much to preach. If I pause at every one of these verses, we're going to be in trouble. Just pray for me. I'll stop pausing. So on the Lord's day, I was in the spirit. And because of that, comma, the result was I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. A trumpet is not a French horn. A French horn is muted. I played the trumpet. The trumpet is. It cuts through everything. How many of you know the Lord doesn't want to be a French horn or a tuba or a sissy clarinet or a flute? He's a drummer. I mean, the Holy Spirit's a drummer, and he's the trumpet, and he cuts through everything. And I know, when I, when I was flat in band, Mr. Dobbins was like, whoop. When you're in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, you hear a voice behind you. And I just want to tell you something. In heaven, all through the book of Revelation, it never says, I heard a silent low decibel voice get used to it you go man you Pentecostals are so loud get used to it in heaven everybody's going to be Pentecostal 
is going to be loud. Oh, Lord. Pastor, come back up here. But in, in all the muted, all the loud voices, only those in the spirit can hear what the trumpet is doing right now. Everybody tracking with me? Do I have to keep elaborating on, on the condition of where we are? I heard a loud voice behind me. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. Verse 17. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though I were dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, somebody needs to hear this right now this morning. Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. Oh, I was dead. And behold, I am alive forever and ever. Oh, y'all are not out there. you. And... I hold the keys. Are y'all picking up what the picture of this is happening? Before all the goofy, weird, crazy stuff, just know I got the key, man. This book is one of comfort. Brothers and sisters, you've heard me for 15 months say this, and I firmly believe it. If you doubt me, hang around here a few months. We were built for this. Our faith flourishes in seasons like this. I could talk a whole lot right now, but I got the rest of the summer, so I'm going to save some stuff so I'll have something to say in June and July. This book of Revelation, we're built for this. This is a golden opportunity for the church to be the church when it is dark, when it is confusing, when everything in the culture is turned upside down and chaos seems to be running the day. The church needs to rise up. And this is why God, go, the word in Revelation goes, all right, before we get to all the crazy stuff, I want you to know I'm the first and the last. And secondly, what does he do? Does he start talking about, hey, Rome, Caesar, you are not Lord. Jesus is Lord. No, that's not what he, Does he say, hey, Democrats and Republicans, you need to get your act together. That's not what he says. He spends two chapters and says, let me talk about seven of the most prominent churches that everybody knows about. And he says, all of this that I'm going to start talking about later, all the crazy stuff, I first need to make sure the church has an ear to hear what the Spirit is saying. I wish somebody would say amen. amen. You know, Revelation 2, chapter 2 and 3, he, addressed, he says to the church of Ephesus, you do a lot of great things, but you're not in love with me like you used to be. You're busy for me. You love ministry. But where we're going, oh, you're going to need to fall in love with me again. Secondly, he talks to the church at Smyrna over in Cobb County. And, uh, and this was the one. And he, he said, those Jewish people are, are, are mistreating and persecuting you Christians. But y'all keep standing strong. And that's the church that... He, he praises and says, you're, you're being faithful amidst the, the persecution. Third is the church at Pergamum, the, fill, the, the church that you're, you're compromising your beliefs. Man, how many Pergamum churches do we have in America right now? Thyatira, you're the church that y'all love a good prophet, even if they're false. You don't hold them accountable. You've propped up that false prophet. Church at Sardis in Revelation 3. He literally says, y'all think you're alive and you're not like struggling, you're actually dead. 
How many churches do we think, we're, we're alive, we're good. And he says, again, just remember, this is revelation. He's going, before we get to all this stuff, i got to first correct the church because they are the ecclesia. Then next, he says, the city of Philadelphia. And notice what he doesn't say. The church at Philadelphia, brotherly love. He doesn't say, y'all miscounted the votes. <laughs> yes, I went there. <laughs> That's not what he says. You are the church that patiently endures even though you are weak. You're still holding on. There's a lot to unpack. You know, isn't it awesome that the city or the church that valued phileo, Philadelphia, brotherly love, communitas, koinonia, y'all were hanging on even though you were weak. You were limping across the finish line, but you're, you're going to get across it. A lot to unpack right there. This is why we eat meals there. This is why we say we don't want to be a church. We're a family. We're going to hold each other up when we need to be held up. And then lastly, he says, the church at Laodicea. You're the church with lukewarm faith. You think you're wealthy, and you are, but you're wealthy in the wrong stuff. You're actually broke, poor, pitiful, and naked with the stuff that really matters. He says you're lukewarm. You can't burn anything and you can't freeze anything. You're good for nothing. That's what he says. All right, and then look, chapter 4. I'm still just laying the groundwork, and we're going to close, I promise you, real quick. Give me, just give me a few more minutes. <laughs> this is good. Chapter 4 opens up, and he says again, I heard a voice like a trumpet that said, now listen, y'all. The ver what does the voice say? Come up here. Oh, I got eight sermons going on on the table. Right. Don't stay down there. He comes and says, I need you up here so I can show you what I see and we can talk and you'll get out of all the disruption. God is often saying, this is what we do on Tuesday night. We come up here. He says, and I will show you what is going to happen. At once I was in the Spirit, he says in chapter 4. And there before me was a throne in heaven with someone, capital S, capital O, someone sitting on it. John sees the throne, the one, capital O, sitting on it. And what those around the throne are doing. Those around the throne, the Bible says, day and night, they never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Oh, that we could on the Lord's day be in the Spirit. Come up here and see what God's trying to show us. That heaven isn't breaking out in stress right now with what's happening in America or the pandemic. They're still worshiping the one who is worthy. Come on, somebody. In fact, they... They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have the being, the good being. Chapter 5, Then one of the elders said to me, the elders, the 24 elders, which represents the church, one of the, past, one of the leaders of the church said to me, do not weep. I say to you, do not be fearful. Do not weep. Why? Look what he says in chapter 5. See, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. The 24 elders again, they're around the throne. John's seeing all this. Listen, with what? The bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. In heaven, there are spiritual leaders going, Hey, God, remember, they prayed for this. Listen, let's keep this on the agenda. This is what's been asked. Oh, I got to move on. Come up here, brothers and sisters. May we see prayers of the saints. They sang a new song. 
They need a new song in heaven, right? Because all they do is holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Uh-uh. They don't need a new song. They can't sing anything else. And if you think they were spiritual robots who were wound up to go, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is, is to come. Holy, holy, holy. And they just take, mm -mm. even the angelic host, they get one glimpse of him. You've heard, many of you have heard me say this before, and they go, Holy, holy, holy. And they're reminded in seeing him on the throne, and they go, you've always been. You are right now. You'll always be. And they recover. About that time, they open their eyes. Oh, that we could come up here and see. Not that you have to become irresponsible and not worry about what's happening in the schools, the board, the school board, what's happening in Atlanta, what's happening in D.C. Not that we're ignorant of that. We have to be responsible, engaged, involved citizens. But when we come, <laughs> when we come up here in the spirit, and we see what's happening in heaven. Oh. This is the Bible, brothers and sisters. You are worthy. Here's the new song. They change it a little bit. You're worthy because you were slain. And you, with your blood, you purchased men for God from every... Listen, this is heaven. Every tribe and language and people, and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Y'all getting tired, and I got a little bit more preaching me. Are y'all out there? We're coming in for a landing, but hold on, okay? Buckle up. We get to Revelation 5, verse 11. It says, Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands of upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them. Can I say that one more time? Nobody gets left out. This is everybody. And they're all saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Are you seeing it? Heaven is still worshiping Jesus. They're around the throne. May we never stop worshiping Jesus. Chapter 6, and this is where I'm going to summarize it. Four horsemen of the apocalypse, and they're out just tearing everything up. Okay, so Revelation 1, I'm the Alpha and Omega. Revelation 2 and 3, all right, churches, get your act together. Revelation 4, we just talked. He came up here and sees what's going on in heaven. Revelation 5, we see, they're singing a new song. Now, Revelation 6, uh-oh, here comes the crazy stuff. The four horsemen of the apocalypse, the end times, they're out, they're released one at a time, and they're tearing everything up. And the angels are sitting and watching this happen. And the first horseman is given a bow, and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. The second horseman is a fiery red one, given power, listen, to take peace from the earth. Has that happened? The third one is a black horse. The fourth one is a pale horse. Its rider was named Death. And Hades was following close behind Death. Oh, there's a picture there. They were given power over 25% of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. And God shows John the souls that had been slain in chapter 6 by the word of God. 
and their testimony, the martyrs. And then there's an earthquake. It's getting weirder and weirder. The sun turns black. The moon turns red. The stars fall to the earth. And the chapter ends with this question. Who can stand? Who can stand? And Revelation 7 opens up. I'll tell you who can stand. What we see in Revelation 7 are the saints singing in the face of the four horsemen. Verse 9, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, lane, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. And they cried out in a loud voice, this, the saints are singing, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Verse 11, all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen, so be it, right on, I'm down with that. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. And in closing, I've hurried you through a picture of what is happening. We see right here. What are we to do when a nasty pandemic is unleashed and we don't know how it got out or how it started, but we're all left wondering. And none of us know. And I don't pretend to know. But what do we do when, when it kills thousands of people, millions in the earth? And the effects of it, the fear that it brings, cripples our culture and our economy. What are we to do? As saints, we are to stand in the face of it and sing Salvation belongs to our Lord and our God. Holy is the one who sits on the throne. That is what we are to do. Now listen. Here comes a political chaos like we've never known. And it makes you and me feel like, what are we in? Some third world country where corruption rules and reigns? What are we to do to try and figure it out? To keep the corruption from spreading? Are we to get motivated and, and attack the DC and all these centers of political power? No! We are not to stop voting, get disengaged, but shame on us if we do all of that and we don't stand in the face of political corruption and chaos and say, salvation doesn't belong to Donald Trump, Joe Biden, Democrats, Republicans, Independents, the Tea Party. Salvation comes from the Lord our God. That's what we are to do. What are we to do when an evil spirit of division that is fueled by a greedy media and tries to divide blacks and whites and browns, what are we to do to stand and say, keep this out, don't do this, it's your fault, it's your fault, it's your fault. Are we to sit and let them brainwash our children? No! But shame on us if we get caught up in the arm of the flesh and trusting what we can do when we marshal our resources and we don't gather here on the Lord's day and get in the spirit and stand as the saints in the face of all of this division and say, salvation, unity, true diversity will come from the one who shed his blood on the cross. And the cross, not some CRT, not some conservative program, not some liberal program, not some civics program, not some history program. The cross is what will help white people who are racist realize they are racist. 
Are there some? Yes. And don't even quantify and qualify it. I feel the anointing of the Lord in this place. Listen. Uncensored truth. Well, if they didn't, if they close the border, I know all that. We've got a we've got too many problems in this country that we can even count. Where do you start? What would you do if you're president? I'll tell you what I'd do. I'd get every pastor I could, every spiritual leader, and I'd say, listen, we're gonna do everything we can. Trust me, my passion is in this. But if you all skip over Revelation 2 and 3, if you think you're wealthy when you're poor, if you get busy doing ministry and you don't love Jesus anymore, listen, as president, I, I, I'm not going to be able to fix this. Y'all are the ones anointed in the earth. Whew. May the saints of God. Is everybody, I know I'm, I'm, I'm going, I just, I, what, what I'm saying is, Come up here a little higher, and may we see what the Lord is. May we get his perspective. Hallelujah. Sometimes this thing won't go back together, and I'm like, God, is that because you're not through and I'm through? Don't get nervous. He's through this morning, and so am I. Lord, I just pray everybody in this room can just, if they may go, wow, I'm, we're not used to this. I've, I've never been in a church service. I've never heard a pastor talk like that. Just Holy Spirit, give them just quick understanding. I can't convince or talk anybody into anything, but you can. And Lord, we want the uncensored, unvarnished truth of your word. We're not here trying to prove our political position. Our political position, it doesn't even mean anything if the people of God have the wrong spiritual position. We don't want to be just right. We want to be righteous in you, Lord. I just thank you for what you're doing in this house, in this church family. The hungry hearts, the people who are gathering to go, what can we do to protect our children? What can we do as the people of God? We are your army empowered by your spirit. And we thank you for it, Lord. You know, we, when our children were younger, we used to go over on Sundays. You may not relate to it, but like my weekend's getting ready to start in about an hour. You're getting ready to go back to work. But pastoring will ruin your Saturday night. And um, so when our kids were younger on Sunday, Sunday afternoons, this was before we had all these greenways and Forsyth and Fulton, and we used to have to go out to um, Silver Comet Trail. Anybody ever been over there? And it's that trail, and now I think it goes all the way to Birmingham. And I love, we grew up riding bikes, and so we would take all seven of our children, their bikes on our Suburban. We looked like the Beverly Hillbillies going out across. <laughs> One time we had a Barbie truck come off the, our trailer on I-285. And uh, police pulled over and gave her a ticket. Just kidding. <laughs> but so we would go out there, and uh, I, on my bike, I had one of those attached bikes where <laughs> Banks would, he would pedal, but it wasn't helping, you know? <laughs> and, and his bike attached to mine had a little, one of those carts, and he had two of his little brothers. It was work for me, but we would get out, and Caroline would, Candace would get up front with the older ones, and I would lag behind and make sure. And I can, I, can, I can remember this like it happened this morning. Caroline would get ahead of me. She was the next one older than Banks. And I could see her little big tails. And she would, and there'd be people all over that trail. And Caroline would every once in a while just want to look back and make sure she could see me. She'd pedal a little bit more and she'd slow down. And every time she looked back, if she could see me, she was like, oh, we're good. I can't see mommy, I can't see Brandon, I can't see Erica. 
but six years old in that little pink bike that had just had the train and wells taken off. If she could see me, she was good. What she didn't know, there was no way she wasn't going to see me. It wasn't her doing. She was just turning around, making sure she was in the right spot. I was making sure she was in the right spot because I was right there with her in worship. So many times we're And we never stop to enter into, we never come up here. And before we know it, we're like, we're in Birmingham going, has anybody seen my mommy? You ever seen a lost child? Fear just cripples them. That's what's happening. We're in Birmingham going, where's, where's dad? This is why worship and hearing the word, and I'm sorry we don't have 80-minute sermon services. What, what, what God's calling for us is come up here and see from my perspective. You can't have good without God, without me. Y'all out there, come on, stand with me, brothers and sisters. Can we just... Can we just give God praise for the truth of his word? Do you feel like your spirit is full as we spend time? May the Lord bless you, keep you, make his face shine upon you, be gracious unto you. May he lift his countenance up on you and give you peace. You receive it? I receive it. God bless you all. Have a good afternoon. We love you.